0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, in your Bibles this morning. I think you've all seen something like a campaign rally or maybe a more formal official function where after some preliminaries have taken place, uh, the master of ceremony Will take a microphone and say something like, Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. And then, with all of the appropriate fanfare, uh, the President or whatever other dignitary there might be introduced will, will then come out. And I mentioned that this morning because I, I see Matthew doing the same thing in this gospel according to Matthew. Uh, He is making the announcement ladies and gentlemen I present to you Jesus of Nazareth the king And even more completely as the book goes on the king of the Jews And that's not even enough. This is the king of the kingdom of heaven And before it's all done. This is the king of heaven and earth Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Jesus of Nazareth, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what we have in this Gospel of Matthew. And especially in the early chapters, we have the introduction to Jesus and and the credentials of Jesus to be proclaimed to be the king. And so you may remember from our previous studies that really the first two-thirds of chapter 1... We are introduced to the the genealogy that supports the claim. He has both the racial pedigree. He's a son of Abraham. And he has the royal pedigree. He's the son of David. And then in the second or the last third of that first chapter, we have uh, the record of the virgin conception and virgin birth of Jesus. And Matthew makes the... Uh, takes the time to connect us back into the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah that would be fitting for this Messiah, the the one who would be Emmanuel, God, with us. In chapter 2, he highlights the geographical locations associated with his birth and his childhood, and he points again to each of them having their roots in Old Testament Scripture concerning the Messianic King. In chapter 3... He reports on the ministry of the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. And again, he makes connections to the Old Testament prophecy and this, again, messianic king. And right at the end of chapter 3, we have the baptism of Jesus, which as we work through that, we noted was something like his inauguration, uh, the commissioning. Of, of his public ministry. And that was an event, remember, where the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and the Father from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And all of these reports are again designed to highlight the credentials of Jesus to be the long foretold and long-awaited King. And when we come into chapter 4, which we had just entered into before an extended break, we observe a period of intense testing as he was in really kind of face-to-face combat with the devil himself. He has all of these other credentials, but now we get to see his impeccable character on the top of all of those other credentials. And impeccable character in the most trying circumstances. I mean, we can go back to Genesis and be reminded that Adam and Eve were in a perfect setting with all kinds of advantages. But when the devil approached them personally, they fell in dramatic fashion. But now we see Jesus in Matthew 4 in the wilderness. 40 days with no food or drink and other disadvantages. And in face-to-face temptation with the devil, he retains full, unvarnished purity. And his impeccable character is more witness to his true identity. And Matthew's reporting here, again, in this gospel, uh, is doing it for, for, uh, for this purpose. He's including that in there as part of his introduction to the credentials. But when we came here last time, we noted that there's something else that is going on in the life of Jesus. That is, there is another emphasis for Jesus himself. Again, chapter 3 finishes with the Lord's baptism. His commissioning, the inauguration of his public ministry... And now if you look at chapter 4, the first word of chapter 4, verse number 1, is what? Okay, it is the word then. And it's not just stated there to be kind of a transition. Because in Mark, we read the word immediately. Immediately after the baptism... Now, this scene opens up before us. The the one happens right after the other. And we can move even from the timing to the location of what is happening. Notice in verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the what? Into the wilderness. The wilderness was an isolated place. So there were no other observers that are being able to watch what is happening here. The temptations that the Lord endured were at least not initially for any others to observe as an example of how to have victory over temptation. They were first of all about something that was going on in the personal and even private life of Jesus. Relative to his entrance, and I'm combining the two, relative to his entrance into public ministry right after the inauguration now this scene isolated from any other observers and an additional witness to what's going on in the life of Jesus is just observing who the initiator was of all of this look again at verse 1 and note who it was that led Jesus into the wilderness to face these temptations then was Jesus led of the who of the spirit Into the wilderness. So it wasn't Jesus that just said, Hey, I'm going to go out here. It wasn't the devil who said and who initiated this setting. This was something that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into. The entire circumstance then orchestrated by him to put Jesus into a place where he would face temptations at the hand of the devil that would further prepare him for the ministry that he's just begun. And last time, with that backdrop, we considered the first of three kind of peaks of temptation because the devil had been tempting Jesus throughout these 40 days. But we have kind of three peak episodes that are reported on here. And when we get to verse number 3... I'm hoping that you have some notes, maybe right there in your margin, to help you remember that the first temptation was directed towards the Lord's divinity, or towards the supernatural power he possessed as God. It was directed towards his divinity to satisfy the needs of his humanity. The temptation was to what? It was to turn (coughs) stones into bread. But only God can command stones to turn into bread. The temptation was to exercise his deity, his supernatural power. But to do it to meet the needs of his humanity. Because we just learned in verse 2 that he had fasted for how long? And as further evidence of his humanity, he had fasted 40 days and and 40 nights. And afterward was what? The end of verse 2, he was... He was what any other man would be. He needed to eat. So the devil says, all right, if your God commands stones to be turned into bread, exercise your deity to meet the needs of your humanity. And there is absolutely no doubt that Jesus could have exercised his supernatural power to do that very thing. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us that when Jesus took on the form of a man voluntarily, he also did let go of the right to independently display his power. He was in the form of God, but he thought it not robbery or something to be grasped and held on to. He let go of his right to independently exercise the power of his deity and his response now in verse 4 to the devil <clears throat> was to say that he did not have direction from god to display that power to satisfy that personal need verse number 4 but he answered and said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of god what he's saying to you is <clears throat> i don't have a word from my father that this is the way he wants me to exercise my deity and when he prefaced that answer again in verse four by saying it is written and I'm trusting that those of you that were here again have notes because you have right in your margin he was quoting from Deuteronomy 8 and he's quoting from a passage that underscores the fact that sometimes God does allow his people and his servants to suffer deprivation of their, most, of their most basic physical needs. And he said he allows them to suffer to humble them, to drive home the truth of their dependence upon him, and to test them whether or not they will obey even in spite of their deprivation. All of that is the backdrop of Deuteronomy 4 that Jesus quotes from. And we saw additional confirmation from the writer of Hebrews that even for the Lord himself, there was a maturing that took place through the things that he suffered. Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And as it was with the Lord himself, so it has been the case with many of God's servants. Many ministers are faced with deprivations. And often there are some definite ones in their preparation days and in early days of ministry. How many face health issues and limited finances early in their ministry? And often it seems that in these early years, some path of obedience or loyalty to the truth will mean the loss of reputation and relationships. And it's as if, it, it is as if God brings some crossroads, whether health, whether finances, whether reputation, relationships, God brings young servants of the lord early in their ministry to some crossroads to really test whether or not they will obey even when it means they're deprived and it certainly is not a one-time matter for god's servants but it is something that is a learning experience and it was for the lord early in his ministry and he wins if you will He wins this battle by getting the scripture out there, by saying, it is written. And he gets the scripture between himself and the devil's temptation. And we've taken some time to review because it's been a while since we were here. But we've also taken the time to review because the devil's going to seize on the Lord's answer. And in an amazing turn of events, The devil is now going to use the scripture as the foundation for the second stage of temptation. Jesus said, Jesus said, it is written. And his answer was to say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word it is written. And I am in total dependence upon the very words of God. And with that, look at Again, verse 5, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 5. Then, so right after that, the devil takes him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And I think you're following with enough, you know, uh, attentiveness to know Jesus is the one who said it is written in verse 4. But now in verse 6, it is the devil that says it is written. Jesus answered with the scripture. Now the devil turns around and uses the scripture to actually do the tempting. And this is part of what takes this second stage of of temptation to a new level. There is a particular challenge here to the reasoning of the mind. What is happening is the devil is actually going to use the scripture against the what? He's going to pit the scripture against the scripture. And now there's a real challenge to the mind. Not just to the physical need to have bread. But now the challenge is to the mind. And before we get right to the heart of it, we should catch a couple details. In in verse 5, they went up to what city? We have here the holy city. And that can only be one city. That's what? That's Jerusalem. And... In addition to that, they go up to the pinnacle of the temple. And that is talking about a corner of the temple compound that actually jutted out over the Kidron Valley. Um, Josephus, a first century historian, indicated that it would be a drop of about 450 feet from the pinnacle of the temple. Again, because it jutted out over the Kidron Valley. So you're talking about 450 feet. Um, to, to fall off or to jump off of that would be what? It, it would be certain death. And from here, the devil refers again in verse 6 to that pronouncement. Notice, and saith unto him in verse 6, If thou be the Son of God. Who had just said that? Remember back in chapter 3 at the baptism, the Spirit descends and the Father says What? This is my beloved son. So when he says, if you're the son of God, remember the sense of that is, okay, let's say, since you are the son of God. I mean, isn't that the voice? Isn't that what we heard? All right. Since you're the so-called son of God, if what the father said about you at the baptism is true, then really you of all people could actually claim the following scripture and you could just throw yourself off a 450 feet high ledge and no harm will come to you. And now we have to explore what is in What, what is the appeal of this temptation. What is the devil really getting at with the Lord? And, and I'm going to admit that for many years I thought That the force of the temptation was basically just to say, you know, prove your position. He said you're the Son of God. All right, prove it. Prove the privileges of your position. And that the Lord's response, because what does he say in verse 7? Jesus said unto him, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I, I kind of took that as the Lord's response, basically... In in some respects, kind of being an admission that I don't really have another answer. But I know this, devil, you should not be tempting me. And because it came from you, then I'm not going to do it because you're always bad. Okay, prove your privilege and position. No, I don't have another answer, but you're the one who told me. So I'm not doing anything you tell me. That's basically the way I took this. About 10 years into ministry I had invited a friend to come and preach to our church on the life of Christ and In a conference and he preached on this text and when he did I realized I've been missing something big time And I thought I was kind of getting it but still was lacking some focus and so this morning I want to try to help bring focus. What is the precise nature of this temptation the first temptation, I'm, I'm circling back again because I think they're tied together. The first temptation was to appeal to take the situation into your own hands. Act independently of God. Okay? Use your deity to satisfy the needs of, you, of your humanity. The second temptation, brethren, I believe, is just the opposite. The first one, take it into your own hands. The second one is to prove your dependence on God. I mean, you just said you're not going to take it into your own hands because you don't have a word from God on it, all right? Now, in this one, he says, well, then show it. Prove your dependence upon God, but do it in what? Do it in an extreme fashion. <laughs> He had responded, I'm entirely dependent on every utterance of of the Lord. And now the devil is saying, all right, well, then if you are truly living by faith, then throw yourself entirely into the hands of God and do what will kill you if he doesn't intervene. And what, again, adds strength to this suggestion of the devil is that he actually uses the scripture to support Support the appeal go back to psalm 91 if you don't have it in your margin. You definitely want to write Psalm 91 here. That's the devil said it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you If you don't have it write psalm 91 because that's where the devil says there that that that's where the psalm says it now go to psalm 91 And i'm going to have us go back to right at the start of the psalm. So we we pick up a little of the feel I don't know if you have a bible that has some notes they they're in there from your bible publisher Just kind of giving you an idea of what's in that column And I have at the top of my column of psalm 91 The security of the godly Now that's the theme of psalm 91 is security look at verse 1 He that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty I will say of the lord. He is my refuge my fortress my god in him Will I trust I mean that sounds like I'm secure in the lord Um, Skip down to chapter or to verse number nine then we get closer to our text notice the response because Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. That's the passage that the devil just quoted to Jesus. And and I just want to add a little more color to the context. Look at verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. All right, now, if there is anyone that this statement regarding love applies to, it is who? Okay. (laughs) The The devil is saying to Jesus... Look, you love your father, don't you? You trust your father. You have made him, picking up on the other words in this psalm, you have made him your refuge. He has declared you to be his unique son, and he has promised to protect you. So on the authority of Scripture, I say, go ahead and what? Jump right you love him. You trust him. You've made him your refuge He's declared you're uniquely his I say jump Now don't turn back to matthew now because we have some other scripture to turn to But again, how does the lord how does the lord respond to that appeal? You love him you made him your refuge. He loves you. He'll protect you jump And jesus said to the devil it is written. Don't what? Don't tempt the lord thy god now. How does that? answer fit that appeal all right well I would just say this before we go any further And then I think we're going to see it worked out in some other scripture I would just say this, that there is a professed trust in the Lord. Show your trust by jumping. There is a professed trust in the Lord that actually does tempt or test God in an unworthy manner. Now, that could be very subtle. Because we are supposed to walk by what? And not by what we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight But I could do something in the name of trusting I could do something in the name of walking by faith that is actually entirely inappropriate And jesus said so Now to discern more of the subtlety of that go back to deuteronomy And again, I didn't have you go to Matthew because of time, but when you get back there You're going to want to know Deuteronomy chapter 6 because the devil quoted Psalm 91 In response, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6 when he said it is written thou shalt not tempt And and we're just really going to pick up one piece of information here Deuteronomy chapter 6 In verse number 16 and we're gonna have to turn again, but we're here because look at deuteronomy 6 and verse 16 ye shall not Do what? Tempt who You shall not tempt the lord your god and to my knowledge. That's the only place where that direct exhortation is given That's why all the cross references in matthew 4 point us to this text as jesus quoting devil psalm 91 jesus deuteronomy 6 verse 16 but there's some additional information here look at this ye shall not tempt the lord your god as ye tempted him where in massa okay now we need to turn to the massa incident and that is do you have a note there a cross-reference that is exodus chapter 17 Let's turn to Exodus 17. And in Exodus chapter 17, even as you get there, you can see in verse 1 that the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness after their journeys, and they journeyed according to what? Okay, go ahead. When you get there, I'll try again. They journeyed according to what? According to the commandment of the Lord. So at the Lord's direction, they ended up in a place at the end of verse 1 where there was no what? There was no water. And we're here in chapter 17 because of some specific connections But even if you just glance back at chapter 16 just days before this they were without food And god fed them with what god fed them with manna and even quail So god had just provided miraculously Now at his direction they're in another location and they face water a need of water And verse 2 tells us though that they They responded how look at verse 2 wherefore the people did Did chide now chiding is quarreling Or arguing Okay, we would say they were grumbling and complaining That's what they were doing And when God leads them to a place where there's no water They grumble and complain with moses and Moses at the end of verse 2 said, Why do you chide with me? Wherefore do you what? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now Moses is going to follow that up. He gets instruction from the Lord and he goes out and he takes his rod and he strikes a certain rock and water flows out of the rock. But the end of the story is verse 7. Notice verse 7. And he called the name of the place, what? Massa. That's what we were just looking at in Deuteronomy. Don't tempt the Lord your God like you did at what? Massa. That's how we know this is what he's talking about. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of, I'm going to substitute what I just said, because of the grumbling and complaining of the children of israel and because when they grumbled and complained they did what they tempted the lord saying is the lord among us or not he had just miraculously given them food now they're at a place where they need water and they grumble and complain and act like, is the Lord even here? Does he love us? Does he care about us? And, and what they are doing is they are demanding miraculous intervention as proof that God remained present with them. Do It's almost like this. Do the miraculous on-demand as a sign that you're with us. <clears throat> I wonder if God's even around. God, if you're around, then do it. I remember praying with a young man, and he was earnest. Um, I think time has shown that he was genuine and sincere and loved the Lord. But we were praying in a small group, and... He had some passages of scripture that he was convinced That if you pray and believe hard enough and so on that god will send revival really at the drop of a hat And I remember praying with this young man and all of a sudden he said god, it's time for you to pay us a visit Why would you wait any longer and I thought that fellow has a lot to learn Nobody calls god to be on demand to do anything <laughs> And in this case They're saying god you do the miraculous so that we know you're with us You can see it's very close to what the devil is actually suggesting jesus do For no other reason than to just prove a point point. Just take life-threatening action and force your father's hand. Prove your dependence by forcing him to do a miracle to preserve your life. And that, Jesus said, that I will not do. And as he quotes from these Old Testament texts, it's as Jesus says, no, I am not going to do that the children of Israel demanded of the Lord a miracle as a sign of his, of his presence, and it was entirely out of line, and I'm not joining them. Now, brethren, where all of this gets tough, even for us today, is that there are Bible verses... That can seem to lead us sometimes right up to jumping off the ledge. Abraham was commended for leaving home and moving his family without knowing where he was going. All right, try that one on, men. Okay, honey, start packing. We're moving. Where are we moving to? Well, I just know we're supposed to go east And whenever we get to where god wants us we'll stop Okay, and abraham was actually commended for that in hebrews chapter 11 by faith. He went out not knowing where he was going And abraham was commended for strapping his probably 17 18 year old son down on an altar And bringing a knife down to take his life While believing that god would raise him up from the dead Hebrews 11 says that accounting that god was able to raise him up from the dead There's other accounts even in israel's history God didn't part the red sea Until The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant did what? Until they actually stepped into that water. And then the sea parted. The widow woman, remember, she only had enough food for one last meal for herself and her son. And Elijah showed up. And Elijah said, take what you were going to prepare for yourself and your son and give it to me first and sometimes we can read things like that and we start thinking maybe that's what I'm supposed to do maybe I'm supposed to just throw all caution to the wind forget my debts forget the needs of my family forget the caution of counselors uh, forget waiting on support to come in Uh, You know uh, Forget waiting for Open and closed doors Just do it Take the new ministry College students Take the summer missions trip In spite of mounting student loan debt Uh, Just take the leap And go for the relationship In spite of reservations Just quit the job And move on And trust God to do Stop being so Pragmatic Stop living in fear. Stop looking at the obstacles. Stop worrying about budgets. Just what? Just jump. Take a leap of take a leap of faith. <clears throat> and and there are texts as we've seen that might tend to nurture some of those thoughts. But rather there are other texts in scripture that say you better be careful because in the name of faith you could actually be guilty of tempting the lord through a sensational presumption that is not of him hudson taylor if you know anything of his missions work personally and then the founding of the china inland mission and all that he required of the missionaries they They took multiple steps of faith in regards to missionary work in china But then over there in china Some of the missionaries when they would get on board boat to go from one mission station to another Would not put on life preservers Even when they were in some rickety old boats And they wouldn't put on life preservers in these rickety old boats in troubled waters As as an act of faith and hudson taylor said no, that's an act of foolishness Stupid! Put your life preserver on and trust God to use the life preserver. He gave it to you. Now, brethren, you you and I might end up facing a situation where the the, the direct command of God leads you to a place where there really is nothing else to do but to watch Him do a miracle. And you may end up in a circumstance where after really thoroughly ransacking the scripture and getting mature counsel, in order to have a good conscience, you do have to quit a job without knowing where income is going to come. That kind of circumstance would have the marks of being God's making, not yours. You weren't looking for something adventurous. You were just trying to walk with god as best as you knew and and here you are and and if god puts you in that kind of circumstance that would be like god is the one that is throwing you quite frankly off the pinnacle of the temple (laughs) and that's a situation that demands a faith-filled obedience and we know that in the life of the lord that kind of situation was going to come I mean, he's telling the disciples, let's go up to Jerusalem. And the disciples tried to convince him not to. And when they saw that he would not turn back, Thomas actually said, all right, let's go and die with him. Because they had seen how things were developing. And the day came on the cross where Jesus very literally said, Father, into thy hands I, wo- I commit my spirit. And he put himself entirely in the hands of God. But in the situation in Matthew 4 at the pinnacle of the temple, it would have been entirely sensational presumption to jump. Even if the devil tried to argue from what? Even if the devil tried to argue from the scripture. And multiple other times in the life and ministry of Jesus, he quietly withdrew from the crowds. Jesus took time to eat and to sleep. And at times, he went apart with the disciples, and he actually called the disciples really apart for what we would call a retreat today. He actually said come apart and rest for a while and somebody has said there's times where if you don't come apart You're going to come apart The traveling of the apostolic company appears to be funded by some very wealthy friends Trusting God to meet needs through the normal channels of planning and hard work and normal cautions of budgets and reservations of wiles of wise counselors All of that is still a matter of trusting God Let him show himself in the strength that he gives For day by day and some cases even moment by moment um, Pathways of, of faithfulness I, rem- I can tell you a restaurant I was in where I was communicating to one of my mentors how convinced I was that I should be doing something. And, and I was going to have to do that contrary to several counselors that God had used at other times in my life who were saying, I don't think you should be doing it. I don't think it's wise. And I went into that Perkins restaurant and I try to convince this other counselor of the scripture that I had that would overrule the cautions of others. <clears throat> and I remember him wisely saying to me, sometimes God will lead you to that kind of a place where, you, you, you know what, where you're going to take a step that you feel like you are all alone in taking. But he said, that is very, very rare. And I have seen far too many people take those kind of steps. And it is really more of being bullheaded and stubborn. And I think you all know what it is to sometimes just the pressures are what they are, where we're at. And sometimes we just want out just some new scene some new scenery new rhythm new everything i just want out of this and it's amazing what in in those kind of circumstances it's amazing how many verses of scripture we can cling to that are encouraging us just get out and we can call it a step of faith and and the passage before us is at least saying this to us don't tempt God by demanding that He rescue you after you have taken a just a precipitous step. Because there are actions people take in the name of faith that really are more like laziness or bullheadedness or just plain escapism. And escaping one situation to try another and doing it again and again and again and hoping it doesn't all catch up to us is not faith. Faith. It isn't faith. And all of God's people need this kind of admonition. And God's servants in particular in leadership roles need this kind of caution. There has been a lot of folly and poor testimony in the Lord's work That has come from what was done in the name of faith, and in the end, bore a lot of marks of man's personal agenda and man's personal drive. And I've got to lead whatever I'm a part of into this massive debt because it's part of building my kingdom. And then they're gone, and there's a mess left over. <clears throat> Jesus, early in his ministry, said, I'm not going to do that, devil. <clears throat> Because I'm going to trust God The devil came and said Alright, then prove your dependence upon God But prove it in an extreme fashion No, you're not going to get me there either I'm not going to throw myself off And expect God to do something on demand I'm going to stay here And I'm going to trust God To meet all those needs in God's way Would you bow your heads and close your eyes And I don't know what Particular ministry the lord may have for you in terms of what circumstances You may be facing But I know there's going to be times where Where god clearly leads us to have to take a step Forward that is trusting him And and sometimes we really struggle with that and sometimes we so much know our struggle with it that there are other times That God wants us to stay right where we are, trusting him. And the devil tempts us, now you've got to move. And what the Lord wants us to do is just again and again go back to the scripture and really ransack the scripture and all of the relevant scriptural texts. And oftentimes that's going to mean that we do get wise counsel that can help us consider all of the relevant texts. But don't don't let presumption or discontent and escapism drive you to do something in the name of faith that is really just folly. God, I'm going to wait and trust you here. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to plan. And I'm going to stay at it, expecting you to meet the needs right here, right now until you make something else very clear. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that You can be trusted. We thank you that you've given us all the light that we need in your word. And we thank you that in time we've actually learned through your word and even the check of your spirit within our hearts to come to recognize where we can use the scripture out of its context, out of consideration of other scriptural texts. And and we can use it to our own harm and to folly. And Lord, we just thank you that in many cases you've, you've not let us get what we thought we ought to do at the moment. And you've checked us. And we just pray that, Lord, you would just continue... Uh, To minister truth to the minds and hearts of all of us as your people And continue to challenge us to faith A faith that'll step when you say go and a faith that'll stay until you give clear direction In some other path and lord, I just know that as We have so many of your people out here There's so many circumstances that I could not begin to imagine but You know all of where each one of us are. Some of our families have some unique things. Some of us, even within our family, have some unique thing that we're struggling with. And I just thank you that your spirit can take your word and minister to your people. And we pray that that would be the case even now as we're humbled before you. Give much grace and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.